The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. This is the third episode in our series about living and photographing in Navajo land. And in this third episode, we're going to talk about the non-judgmental aspects of Navajo culture and how this influences creativity. And this is a topic which is directly related to photography because being creative is going to result in not just better photographs, but photographs that are more unique, more personal to us, as opposed to being like other people's photographs. Yes. So let's see how that works. Navajo culture is non-judgmental by definition. That is, they don't really impose their views of what you're doing, or they don't really even have an opinion necessarily on what people are doing. That's true. I've also noticed if you look at the artwork of Navajos, you know, regularly, because we were there for over seven years. So we saw a lot of artists' work during, you know, that time. And you could see that there were a number of them that were not afraid to try something new, to try something different or take a chance. And they weren't afraid or they didn't have reservations of, you know, doing things differently. Right, which is the whole uh, important aspect of being creative. You don't want to be afraid. You don't mm-hmm. want to fear criticism. Right. And I think, uh, as I was saying, that having or living in a non-judgmental culture goes a long way towards feeling more creative because you're not fearful of criticism. Right. Do you think that being non-judgmental helps people be creative? I do. And... um I notice maybe you don't become self-conscious or you just do what you want to do or you do what you feel like doing and you you don't really worry about what others think because somewhere there in your mind, since it is a non-judgmental society, that I guess you just don't get negative responses. Right. It's difficult to be judgmental and creative at the same time. I think that by definition, creative people are non-judgmental. It's very uncommon to talk to a creative artist and hear them say bad things about other artists. Yes. Or at least say critical things about other artists, about their work. I think that other artists might sort of get on each other's nerves in a way, but... It's very rare to hear a creative artist put down the work of another artist, unless they've had creative reason for it. That is, they have opposite views about an art movement, for example, or about a particular style. But otherwise, creative people are non-judgmental for the most part. I think so. And they're open to a lot of new ideas or new ways of doing things. Right. And it's difficult to be open to new ideas and be judgmental at the same time. I think so. You know, that doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. You can have an opinion and not be judgmental at the same time. You can say, I like this, I don't like that. But then if you see somebody do something which is part of what you don't personally like, you don't necessarily have to go to them and say, your work is horrible and I don't like it. Right. Right. I have no doubt that Navajos have, you know, likenesses and dislikenesses. Oh, yes. You know, things they like and things they dislike. They might not like photography, for example. But that doesn't mean that they're going to go to me or to a photographer and say photography is no good. Right. Right. I think that's the fine distinction that a lot of people miss. I think so. They think that being non-judgmental means not having an opinion. It doesn't. 
it means not expressing your opinion to somebody's face in a way. Right. Right. I mean, if we take, for example, alcoholism on the reservation, which is unfortunately something that exists, Navajos don't approve of alcoholism. But if they see a drunk on the sidewalk, they're not going to go to him and say, what you're doing is bad. No. What they're going to do is they're going to let them be. They might refuse to give them money so that they don't encourage them to drink. But they're not going to say anything to that person. However, if you talk to them and you say, well, what do you think of people that drink and get drunk and so on? They'll say they went the wrong way. They fell into the wrong way. Right. Or they're just not on the right path at this time, you know. Right. That doesn't mean they're going to be like that always either. Right. They lost their direction. You know, uh, they are confused. You know, they went the wrong way. They went the evil way. You know, all of that. And so th- that shows that they have an opinion. And they don't make fun of the person right. either or put the right. person down in but, any way. But they do have an opinion. And their opinion is that it's they went the wrong way. It's not good. But they don't go to the person and say, bad, bad, bad. No. And they don't really make a judgment on the person. So I think that proves the point that you can be non-judgmental and have an opinion at the same time. Right. And I think that if you extend that to artists, there's no doubt that artists have a very strong opinion about what kind of work they like, dislike, and want to create. Right. But that doesn't mean that they're going to go to an artist that does something that they don't particularly like and say to that person... You know, your work, as I said before, is not good. I don't like it. Stop doing it and right. on and on, right? Because that's eventually the ultimate form of judgment is asking somebody to stop doing something. Right. Or saying something negative about their work, you know. Right. But asking them to stop and disease, you know, right. you know, stop doing that. Right? That's the ultimate them. way of judgment where not only what you're doing in their view is bad, and not only are they coming to tell you that it is, but they're also going farther than that. They are saying, stop, no more of this, <laughs> right? Right. A Navajo would never do that. No. Far from that. They, like I said, they all have an opinion on, on what they like and dislike, but they are not going to go to the person and express that view. And I think that that goes a long way towards encouraging people to be creative. Oh, yes, definitely. And when I taught, on the Navajo reservation, I encourage my art students all the time. I worked on their self-esteem. I always encourage them. And then during parent-teacher conferences, I would have parents that would look at their child's portfolio, you know, everything that they had done to that point. And some of the parents were totally shocked. They could not believe that their son or daughter could draw or paint. They had no idea whatsoever Mm -hmm. and some of them told me that this was a side of their child that they had never seen before and that i was able to get them to uh you know express that side of their child that they had never seen before you were able to make it come out Mm -hmm. it was in there somewhere but somehow it hadn't come out and it was really interesting because after a number of years of teaching i would have parents that would say to me you know i am so glad that you are teaching my my son or my daughter and then i would have parents that would ask me well can you teach me how to draw horses i do beadwork and but i don't know how to draw a horse you know and i i 
gave one mother a, just a packet of simple shapes to use when you're first drawing a horse, whether the horse is bucking or galloping or it's a portrait or they're walking or eating or whatever. So I gave her that packet and she wanted to practice drawing horses or learn how to draw them so that then she could incorporate it in her beadwork. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. Did you see the results? No, I, I did not see her results. Yeah. But I know that she was very happy with what I gave her. Yeah, she probably took you it know. from there and went her way with it. Yeah. But that's typical of Navajos. They want to learn and they acknowledge the fact that they don't know. They are not ashamed of it. And that's, to me, part of not being judgmental because there is no stigma attached to not knowing. No, there isn't. Well, in our culture, not knowing for some people is seen as almost like something wrong with them. Right. To the point where when I teach, I have to tell students, we all start at the same point. We don't know anything. And then we learn. You know, it's not in our DNA. Knowing how to draw a horse is not part of our DNA. Right, <laughs> you, know, right. you know, running when we see a mountain lion is probably part of our DNA, you know. Right. You know, fear, you know, things are not primal. But artistic things are not really part of our DNA. You know, well, they, there's no doubt that some people are more artistically inclined than others. But it's still a learned process. You yes. have to learn to draw. You yes. Know, you're not born with the ability to draw. You, you take 10 kids at the age of one or two and they're all going to make doodles. You know, there's not one that's going to draw the Mona Lisa and the other one is going to draw a stick figure. You know? Right. It, it right. doesn't work that way. So some learn and others don't. But I think that in our culture, there is a stigma attached to not knowing. It's almost like a shame. You know, we, the Navajos don't have that. They, like this lady coming to you saying, I don't know how to draw a horse. Right. right. Can How you teach me? Can you teach me? How many white people or, you know, non-Navajos, you know, the Navajo called non-Navajos bellaganas, you know, meaning fair skin. How many non-Navajos acknowledge that they don't know something and ask that you teach them? Right. To me, in my experience, it's uncommon. I don't know. And by gosh, it's a dirty secret and I'm not going to let it out. Right. <laughs> right? right. The closest right. that people come to that is to say, I'm really bad at drawing. They right. put themselves down. Yes. That's what Anglo culture, I think it's a good term for it, presents not knowing. It's by putting themselves down. Oh, God, I'm really bad at drawing. I'm a very bad artist. I can't draw. I mean, how often do we hear that? I can't draw. Right. Navajos don't say that. They'll say, I don't know how to draw. Can you teach me? Right. That's completely different. Right. Because in a sense, the non-judgmental aspect of Navajo culture isn't just on the part of somebody not expressing their opinion of somebody else to their face. It's also about each individual not expressing a judgment upon themselves. Right. That is, it goes both ways. It goes from the individual to another individual or from the group to a, a single individual, but it also goes from the individual to the individual. Mm -hmm. When somebody says, I can't draw, right. it's a judgment about themselves. Right. They've passed the judgment on themselves. And that judgment is, I can't draw. I'm bad as an artist. This is not something that I'm good at, right? Being not judgmental changes that statement from, I can't draw, to, I don't know how to draw. Right. Which is not a judgment. I don't know how to draw is an acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. right? It's no different from saying my gas tank is empty. Right. My gas tank is empty means I need to go to the gas station and put some gas in it. 
That's not a judgment. It's an acknowledgement of fact. You know, I have one third of the tank or one tenth of the tank left. And if I don't fill it up, I'm going to run out of gas. A judgment is I'm really stupid. I should have filled it up earlier when right. I drove in front of a gas station where gas was 10 cents less than the one next to me. That's a judgment. And the more judgments you pass on yourself, the harder you are with yourself and the less creative you become. Right. Because you constantly fear having to make another negative judgment on yourself. So we go back to the person that says, I can't draw. Well, the last thing that person is going to do is try drawing. Right. Because if they fail, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is they are going to look at their drawing and say, see, I told you I was really bad. Right. <laughs> you know, now right. I have evidence that I'm really bad. You know, of course, what we think eventually happens, that is the premonitions, the ideas, the concepts that we have in our head eventually become true. Right. Why? Because we make them happen. Yes. If we say I'm really bad at drawing, well, we become very critical of ourselves and we become very fearful of drawing. When we start to draw, if we ever get there, that fear is going to translate into a sort of paralysis. Yes. Total lack of creativity, complete fear of the outcome, and a very bad drawing. Right. And guess what? We've proven ourselves true. By saying, I'm very bad at drawing, we created very bad drawings, and then we can show them to other people, say, see, that's what I told you. Right. Now, if we had said the opposite, if we had said, I'm really good at drawing, <laughs> right. and we believe it, right? Or if we had said, like the Navajo lady, I don't know how to draw a horse, teach me, then we are in a learning mode. Yes. And the outcome yes. is that we are actually going to make drawings that are going to be better and better and better and better. Yes. Because if you say, I don't know, you also acknowledge the fact that you're willing to learn, right? Right. It's always the same. Whether we are right or wrong, it doesn't matter because whatever we believe will come true. Right. And so I think that, um, that non-judgmental respect of Navajo culture was very encouraging to me in making photography on the reservation. Well, and it was very encouraging for me just teaching art, you mm -hmm. know, because I had uh, two kilns and three potter's wheels. For years, I never taught ceramics. And lots of willing, oh, yeah. uh, able bodies that wanted to learn. Oh, yes. And finally, you know, there were some eighth graders that decided, you know what, we're just going to ask her, right. you know, why don't you teach us ceramics? You yeah, have yeah. all this machinery right. here. You had a very interesting experience with uh, teaching ceramics because for... Uh, how many, two or three years? Well, I didn't start teaching ceramics maybe till the last three years. So it was so a good four, four and a half years so I for, never did clay. For over four years, you did not teach ceramics. Right. And the reason why you did not teach ceramics is because you did not know ceramics. Right? Well, I'm not good in it. I right. mean, so, I, Which is a judgment upon yourself. Which is a judgment upon myself. And so yeah. these... So this judgment was in effect holding you back. It was. If you had said, I don't know how to teach ceramics, let's see if I can learn, right? Right. <laughs> right. Maybe you would have taught ceramics the second year. But the students right. their attitude was very different when right. I said I am not good at it their response was that doesn't matter what matters is you know how to use the machines right. and we don't if you could just teach us or tell us mm -hmm. what to do we can do it and I would say well you know I, I don't know if I can teach it and then they said well we will help you we mm -hmm. will help you and I said okay so the deal was that when I demonstrated on the potter's wheel, if I could not center the clay immediately, I didn't want to hear any responses mm -hmm. 
from the audience, (laughs) you know. And uh, plus they could tell I was nervous because they knew I wasn't strong in clay. Mm. But actually, I got better, and some of them got it immediately and just took off with it. And they were just very thankful, you know, that I would do that. And then I learned that it was okay for the students to see their teacher struggle in certain areas. Mm-hmm. You know, they could see that I could draw and paint and that I was really good at that. But right. And it was okay, you know, not to be good at everything. But also they were not passing a judgment on your skills as a teacher. No, they weren't. They knew that you were not very good at, you know, doing ceramics. But for them, that was not a problem. No. They were not making fun of you. Absolutely not. Because in a sense, we were continuing the Navajo culture tradition, which is they're not judgmental. Right. They see it from their parents. They see it from their grandparents. They do it themselves. They are not judgmental. They are not hard with themselves, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, it also hurts them in the sense that they have a hard time not becoming addicted to junk food and pop and all of that. But on the other hand, on the positive side, they are not hard on themselves in terms of passing judgments and uh, making their lives more difficult than it has to be, you know. Right. It's a culture where things are facilitated, in a way, through social interaction rather than stopped. And also through demonstration. They learn by watching. They learn by watching, and that was great when Mm -hmm. it came to teaching art and demonstrating a technique because they would just gather all around you and it would be totally Mm -hmm. quiet, and everybody would just watch you demonstrate whatever it was you're demonstrating, and then... They would go to their seats mm-hmm. and work. Yeah, as opposed to a lot of uh, Anglo culture, uh, we learn by asking questions. Yes, you know. and I had very few Anglo students, but I remember I was demonstrating or lecturing or teaching something, and I had one Anglo student in there that kept asking questions, mm-hmm. and I could tell it was annoying some mm-hmm. of my Navajo students. Right. And finally, one of them said, just wait till she is finished Mm -hmm. and then she'll answer your questions (laughs) you know and he just looked at them and you know that was the end of it but he was so excited you know he just kept blurting out all of this these questions it bothered the the navajos he was excited but so were the navajos yes but they kept it kept themselves in check i guess (laughs) i don't think so i think that the way a navajo learns is by watching and the way an anglo learns is by asking right and uh, the fact that they're excited has nothing to do with it right he was excited so he started asking multiple questions non-stop they were excited and they wanted him to shut up (laughs) (laughs) because their excitement was to watch maybe more intently you know excitement is a raised level of energy let's say you know it's an excited state you can be excited you can be extremely motivated and have diverse types of reaction right right? just because you're excited to learn something doesn't mean that you're going to ask multiple questions that's one option and that's the Anglo option. But the Navajos, I think, were just as excited. But their excitement was translated into a, let's say, deeper attention span. Right. You know, they, they paid more closely attention to what you were doing. Right. Right. They would observe even more because Visually. that's how we learn. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is not very different from the way children learn. You know, young children learn by watching. Right. They basically learn to copy exactly what you do. That's why kids learn so fast. You know, they just watch somebody, then they do exactly what that person did. In a sense, it's almost like they become that person. Right. And if you become somebody who knows how to do something very well, you're going to learn to do something very well very quickly. The whole challenge is 
then to stop being that person and become yourself, which can be a challenge. But eventually, if you're creative, uh, there's no reason why you should stick with that one person for your whole life. You, know? right. you, can, you can move on. You know? right. And w- when you look at artists, every artist in the world has started by duplicating, mimicking, or copying the work of some other artist that came before them, and then they moved on. And that's true in music, that's true in the fine arts, painting, photography, dance, sculpture, everything, right? Right. I mean, in photography, every photographer was influenced by another photographer. In writing, the same. Yes. You know, I mean, one of the reasons why we want to do something specific, whether it's photography, whether it's writing, whether it's music, uh, you name it, is because we want to learn how to do something that we really enjoy. Right. We truly enjoy, you know. So you read a novel by Agatha Christie, and then you're like, you know, I really want to learn how to write a novel like that because it's very fascinating to read right. and I want to be able to create that myself so you see a great photograph and you want to learn how to do it because you want to be able to generate that kind of beautiful output yourself right? mm-hmm. the same with music you know you listen to music that you really like and you're like you know I really want to learn how to play that myself right and so it's a traditional approach you know it is and I remember when we went to a powwow in Gallup where the Apache crown dancers came out and they were performing, and uh, the adults, you know, the adult men. But then there were some little ones out there that must have only been four and five years old, and they had the costumes on, and, you know, they were dancing right along with the with the older ones, right. you know, and it didn't matter that they didn't know all the steps or that they messed up, or what was important was the fact that they were out there with them. We are learning. Yes. You know, we are learning by watching and by doing. Right. And that's a very natural way of learning. You know, as I was saying the other day, I read that whooping cranes learn how to migrate by following older whooping cranes. Oh, really? Yeah, the young ones follow the old ones. And they did, they did a test that was really interesting because there's obviously no way to figure that out just by watching on the ground. Right. Off they go and where do they go? We don't know. What happened is whooping cranes is an endangered species in some states. So they started rehabilitating them inside an enclosure like a zoo. And of course, at one point, they have to free them and then teach them to migrate. Right. Because they don't know how to migrate because they lived in a zoo, right? So how do you do that? Well, they use ultralight airplanes to show them the way. Really? Yeah, you know, very small airplanes that fly low and slow. Right. And a speed of the, the cranes. And they teach the crane to follow the airplane. Well, the cranes follow the airplane. I mean, this is a small ultralight airplane. Right. They follow it, and the airplane goes, hopefully, where they migrate, right? Right. And so they figured out that if they can follow the airplane, it's because they followed all the cranes when they were young, right? Right. That's sort of embedded in the crane, you know, know-how, so to speak. But what they also found is if you leave the crane by themselves, right, the young ones will get off course, because that's the big problem oh. <laughs> by many more miles than the old ones. Right. Because the problem of a crane is you're going to go from point A to point B, but you have no plan, you have no GPS. Even though we think they have a GPS in their brain, it's apparently not exactly accurate. They have no compass. So they are following, you know, the sun, the weather, the winds, all of that. But the big risk is that they get off course, right? Right. And what we found out is that the young ones, without following the old ones, will go off course by as much as 50 miles. Hmm. And eventually they might be left behind, right? Because right. the old ones can fly longer, faster, straighter. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a crane. 
When they follow the old ones, they all get, of course, by 25 miles. Wow. So half, right? And when they follow the airplane, they don't go, of course, at all. But the problem is eventually we can't follow the airplane their whole life. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So they are learning by following. Right. They are learning by watching. And so the Navajos are doing exactly the and same. And they're learning by doing. Right. And if you follow the crane, the crane get, of course, anyway. Less if they follow than if they don't follow, but they get, of course. The old ones don't get, of course, as much. Well, it's expected that you're not going to be as good when you're young and you're learning than when you're old and experienced. Right. So why make fun of the kids, right? Right. You see what I'm saying? It'd be like making fun of the crayons. Oh, you got, of course, by 25 miles. I'd get, of course, by just three miles. You know, it's ridiculous because the reason why the older one doesn't get, of course, that much is because they have experience. Right. You know, so there's also a lack of ego in Navajo culture. Yes. You know? Because that's what drives somebody to make fun of somebody else is I'm better than you. Therefore, I'm going to have an egocentric attitude. They don't have that. No. You know, it's okay to make a mistake which is being not judgmental, but also not bringing ego into the equation, right. not making fun of somebody. Because no. it's one thing to pass a judgment. It's one thing to go to somebody and say, that's bad, right? You know, either I don't like your artwork or being drunk is bad or something like that. It's another one to look at somebody and say, I'm better than you. Right, <laughs> right? right. That's, that's also a, no, a judgment, no. but it's an egocentric judgment. It's right. not based on a set of value. It's based on the desire to put yourself on a pedestal. Right. And you don't see that either in Navajo culture. No. And so there's an encouraging situation going on for children where they're not afraid to go at a public dance. I mean, there had to be thousands of people at that oh, yes. meeting. This was the Red Rock Rodeo in Gallup, which is a major event. Right. And the you powwow. Have, how old were the kids? Five, six years old? Yeah, they were real little. And uh, they are not afraid of performing in front of a large audience, thousands of people. Right. You know, with the adults. Because they know that nothing is going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. They're safe. They're safe, criticism-wise. Right. Yeah. That's very different from our culture. And I think, to me, to go back to that, it encouraged me to do my own thing. Because one of the hardest things in art is to do your own thing. Right. To not copy what somebody else does, but to go and do whatever it is that you feel like doing. But I also think the Navajo culture, they don't expect to master something immediately either. They know that it takes time. Right. You know. And I, it does. It, it does. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I don't remember my students expecting to master doing something. It will a, come with In practice. a few days yeah. or whatever. I, they have that knowledge in them. Right. And uh, my students would continue their artwork outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. I would give them art supplies and they would come in and show me the drawings that they did over the weekend. So it was something that if they were really interested in it, they pursued it at home and continued to do that art at home. Right. They come at it with reasonable expectations. Mm -hmm. While in our culture, a lot of people come at an activity like photography or art with what I would call unreasonable expectations. We see it a lot during workshops where somebody comes in and in five days expects to do photographs similar to mine. Right. I've been right. at it for 20 years or more, you know, you can't learn everything I know in five days. Right. <laughs> you know, and the outcome of my work is the outcome of 20 years of knowledge or more. You know, I mean, I studied, uh, I started uh, photography in 1980, so, I, you know, it's actually much more than that. But, and then before that, I did painting. But 
it's an unreasonable expectation. Right. The Navajo would look at it and they have their own set of expectations for themselves. We're not trying to do what you do. We're trying to do the best we can. Right. And that's it. You know? Right. Of course, we could say, well, what's the difference? What does it matter? In a sense, it doesn't really matter. Whether you have reasonable or unreasonable expectations, they are what they are. If you can live with them happily, it doesn't matter. But the problem is that most people can't live with them happily. Right. Most people with unreasonable expectations, when they see the outcome of their work, after five days, they have photographs that are the result of having studied for five days, as opposed to having studied for 20 years, they become sort of discouraged, disappointed. Yes. They are a little disillusioned by their lack of results. And they are like, again, following the same very judgmental approach, they tell themselves, I'm not good. Right. And then they quit. And so there is a whole set of circumstances here that from the simple fact of not passing a judgment goes as far as whether somebody is going to continue or not continue doing something. Right, you know, right. Decide that it's worth spending the necessary amount of time, which is actually years, not days, to master something, to do it well, or give up because, uh, you know, they are being too hard with themselves, they have unreasonable expectations, and they get discouraged, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Because I think that eventually passing judgments on people having an unexpected set of expectations or an unreasonable set of expectations is being hard with yourself. And if you're hard with yourself, you don't let yourself have the necessary time to learn. And the result is you get discouraged and you quit, you know. Right. Because quitting is a judgment on yourself. If I'll never be able to do this well. Right. So I quit. It's another judgment. There's no end to the kind of judgments you pass, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to the non-judgmental approach, which would be like, well, I did not give myself enough time. That's different. That's right. an acknowledgement of fact. It's like saying my gas tank is empty. Right. It's not a judgment on yourself. It's an acknowledgement of fact. And the way we talk to ourselves is, in large part, the reason why we go one way or another. Right. You know, because what we say to ourselves, even privately, even if we don't say to anybody else, even if we say to ourselves, I'm not very good at this, as opposed to going to somebody and saying, I'm, I'm not a good artist, we don't make it public. Eventually, we come to believe it. Yes. You know? And if we say, well, I, I got to master this in a week or bust, we don't master it in a week, which is impossible. Then we're like, well, I'm not good at this. Well, and I think that's why in Navajo culture, you have to be very careful of what you say, too. Right. You know, because what you say and what you think is what's going to happen. What, so. what you think, I don't know, but what you say, definitely. Yeah. Navajos do believe that you should not say something unless you want it to happen, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they also believe that if you say something, it will happen, which could be a good thing. <laughs> or a bad thing. Yeah, or a I bad mean, thing. It can be whatever, you know. Yeah. But the thing is that you don't say something unless you want it to happen, because it will happen if you say it. That's right. Their belief. Because you've put yeah. it out there. Well, you've put it out there. And, I mean, we can look at it in terms of cosmic philosophy, you know, which is I put it out there in the universe and the universe made it happen. Right. But you can also look at it in simple human psychology and say this. If you express certain views, you know, for example, I do believe that I can do this or, you know, this person is this and that. You've actually gone one step further to believing this. Well, if you say it in your own head, it's not the same as to actually say it out loud. You know, when you say something out loud, you make it much more real for yourself and you believe it much more strongly right you know to the point where you can be completely convinced if you tell yourself long enough that your neighbor is a murderer 
you might actually come to believe that they are, whether they are or not. You know, because you find evidence. If we go back to the artist thing. If we say, you know, I'm not a good artist. That's different from thinking it, right? right. Now you've taken one step further, you actually express it. Right. Some people write their goals, you know. Well, you better write the right goal. You know? yes. <laughs> because if you write down, I'm not a good artist, then you go one step farther than saying it. But what happens eventually is you start to look for clues. Because right. you want to prove yourself right. So you're like, okay, I'm not a good artist. So you, you drew a doodle at the restaurant on a napkin, and now you're like, oh my God, that's really awful. That's evidence that you're not a good artist. You go down the road and you look at artwork and you see artwork in the window of a shop and you look at one and you say, I really like that one, right? Right. And you enter the shop and you, you ask the shop owner, you say, how much is that picture in the window? And the guy looks at you and says, oh God, that's the cheapest in the store. It's only 10 bucks. It's one of the worst things I've ever had. Okay, now you have second evidence that you're a bad artist. You don't have any test, right? Right. You know? Regardless, I mean, it could be $10 for whatever reason. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't like it. I mean, you can like artwork that other people don't think is worth any money. Right. It's okay. But if you said, I'm a bad artist, then all of these clues become proof to the fact that you're a bad artist. Right. You know, you can't draw a doodle. You go to a shop, you pick the worst item in the shop. You have no test. You go to a museum. You go see a show. It turns out to be a show that nobody cares about. All of these things become evidence to the fact that you're a bad artist. On the other hand, if you say I'm a good artist, and you go through the same experiences, right? You draw very different conclusions. You draw something, and it's it's not very good, and you're like, God, I really need to spend more time studying art, right? You go to the shop, and you pick a work of art that doesn't have much value, and you can tell yourself, you know, maybe I have an eclectic style. Maybe I don't look at art the way other people look at it. I see value in this artwork, even though it's only 10 bucks and nobody wants to buy it, because to me it has these qualities. Right. right. You go see a show, even though nobody cares much about that show, and you're like, you know, I think that people miss the point. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're taking a completely different view on the same exact event. Right. All of that on the basis of whether you decided you're a good artist or not a good artist. But because we seek sort of evidence to support our beliefs. Right. You know? We do. You know, if somebody says I'm overweight and I can't lose weight, their chances of losing weight are very small. But if they say I'm overweight because I let myself go, but I can lose weight, their chances of losing weight are significantly larger. Mm-hmm. What we believe eventually happens, not because necessarily of cosmic forces, but because we make them happen. Right. And I think that the Navajo approach should not pass judgment on others or on yourself goes a long way towards helping, uh, having maybe not... A better life, I'm not saying that Navajos are not overweight or that they all are this, it's not true. A lot of them are overweight, not all of them are this. But maybe a gentler life, a life right. that is less brutal on ourselves. Well, or you know. more happy. Or more happy, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I know that, uh, you know, we've done the Navajo Land Workshop for years, and I've had participants say to me, gosh, it's so depressing here, it's so poor here, you right. know, and... You know, I never really noticed a lot of that when I lived there, but I said to her, I said, but once you go inside a hogan or a home, mm-hmm. I said, the warm feeling that you have in there and the love and the family, mm-hmm. I said, it's, it isn't depressing or, right. or sad or, you know. Well, I mean, I think that. that Navajos are more forgiving of ourselves, of their own situation than we are. You know, right. they, they don't have such a critical approach to their own living conditions. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they're not judgmental. And the thing that you describe where somebody goes to the reservation for the first time, 
looks at a Hogan, looks at a poverty and says, oh my God, it's poor and it's dirty. That's a judgment. They just passed a judgment. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Uh, and a Navajo would not do that. Mm-mm. You know, they would not say it's poor and dirty. They would say that's the way they live. Right. And they may have their own opinion. They may think, you know, that there is a better way of doing it, but they are not going to pass a judgment. And the very act of passing a judgment puts you in a position where you can't afford you yourself to be poor, to be dirty. Right. So that judgment, in a sense, makes you fear poverty, makes you fear to be in that situation where they are in. Right. Right. Because you've made it clear that it's a no-no, it's not acceptable. Sometimes I wonder if people that go to the reservation and lament endlessly about the poverty and the lack of cleanliness aren't extremely scared themselves of being poor or of not being ultra clean and so on, you know. I mean, when you look at the whole recession thing and people losing their homes and so on, a lot of people are actually poorer than Navajos now. Yes. Um, Because you don't lose your home if you don't have one, right? Right, (laughs) right. And a lot of Navajos don't own their home, so we couldn't lose it. Exactly. Um, There's some very deep uh, conclusions that can be drawn from uh, this approach to judgment or lack of judgment, you know. That the harder you are with yourself, the more you have to deliver, to perform, you know. Right. If you say I'm a great artist, then you have to prove it. If you say I'm a bad artist, then you also have to prove it, you know. But if you just say, let's see what I can learn, in a sense, you're free to do whatever it is. And enjoy it. And enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, I think, was an enlightening discussion. We could go on, but I think we have to stop at some point. And uh, the next time we'll talk about another aspect of Navajo culture. I was thinking maybe talk about how we... uh, would hike and explore the reservation and photograph. Oh, yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Discover Mm -hmm. places that nobody knows about. Right. Sometimes not even Navajos. Just because we wanted to be out there and uh, photograph and not stay in the city all the time, not stay (laughs) in the mobile home all the time. (laughs) Yes. So this is it for today, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here again for the next episode.